as a lot of you know, I've been I've gone the past three weeks, and I'm really, really happy to be back. Um, a round trip to Thailand takes about 44 hours in an airplane, which is like a long time. And then um, I made another trip, which I'll talk to you about in just a minute. But um, to, uh, the first two weeks uh, that I was gone was spent in Thailand with a team from this church. And um, I am uh, going to create a video to show you later about the trip. In fact, let's see. I'm going to have Josh Tanaka do that video for me, if it's okay with him. But I also wanted to mention Josh's brother, Mikey uh, Tanaka, who, whose film was chosen recently to be shown at the Newport Beach Film Festival. And I want to just acknowledge that. And why don't you stand, Mikey? You just, I just think it's such an honor to have your film chosen. Good job. Good job on that. So uh, what, I, what I want to do is show you a few uh, photos of our trip so you can get a feel for what we just did. So here's the first photo. There's Linda Ungerlin, part of our team. And these four girls are from a church out in the province. Uh, at a, uh, the pastor's name is Winang, a wonderful man. This is our second year we've gone there. We've been going to Thailand now for almost 20 years. This is our second year of going to this, this uh, church, a very poor church, but just wonderfully hosted us, showed us a lot of love, and we were blessed to be there. This is, um, <laughs> these are the future leaders of the church in Myanmar. These are young men who have just uh, finished a, a month-long course in which they would go uh, six days a week for seven hours uh, for training in leadership, and that's going to be the future leaders of Myanmar. You watch. I'll tell you that right now. Next photo. All right, there is Allison Hecht. All the kids, uh, there's Allison back. All the kids on our trip want to hug Allison because she's so welcoming and embracing. And this is the church at uh, Three Pagodas, where we've been going for many years. Uh, Three Pagodas Church is right at the Thai-Myanmar border, and that's only one hug of uh, probably a thousand that I witnessed, Allison hugging these kids. And, you know, these, these kids are, for the most part, disenfranchised. They have, a lot of them have no home. They really, they just have very little, uh, little affection. And one of the, in their lives, one of the things that really means something to them is when we show up and just and just let them know how much we care, like this right here. All right, <laughs> this is Blessing. A year ago, a year ago, a Blessing was born, and her mother, they were on the street, and we, we rent a house there, and we raise kids in the house, and we took her in. We took her mother in, her mother's name's Mercy, and her name is Blessing. And uh, I, I don't know what she was doing with her little finger up on her cheek there, but she is so loved now. She's been at the house for a year. And all the girls that are there pass her around. They pass her around. And she's the little princess of uh, what we call the Gateway Builders Youth Center, was what we call our ministry there. So next photo. There's Linda. Um, she, she tended to the teeth of dozens of kids who had never had their teeth ever worked on before. And this is Kathy. 
Uh, Kathy is a missionary from the Philippines. I've known her almost 20 years. She gives her life to the gospel. She gives her life to taking care of kids and sharing Jesus with kids and then discipling them and training them. Uh, here's Bruce Ungerlund. He fixed everything broken in sight. This, you guys, every, and everything is broken in sight. And Bruce, all he did for five or six days was fix plumbing and electrical and all kinds of stuff. He never stopped. We worked him to, a, to the bone, that poor guy. We just kept him going. So, all right, here's a baptism at the River Songolia. This young man's name is Isaiah. A sweet, he's going to be this, he's going to be a fabulous leader. On the right of Isaiah is Mo. She is Roland's assistant, and she and her husband have planted a church in Myanmar, in which our team went and visited. Um, the lady on the right of me, that's Roland, our facilitator in uh, Myanmar, and she's got her arm around Glory, who I just baptized before I baptized Isaiah. Next photo. So I'm going to give you guys a 14-second version of Burmese worship. If you can, can you hit that, Bob? Okay. The none. We have sound on it somewhere. We had the sound in the first service, but you can get a you can get a feel for. <laughs> there's Allison and Bruce. All right. Well, I wanted to give you a feel for it. When I do the video, there'll be more than that. So anyway. Thank you all for praying. It was a fabulous trip. It was one of the best trips we've ever taken. And then last week, I flew to Florida to officiate the service of uh, J. Michael Montgomery, the former pastor of this church uh, back in the 60s and 70s when it was located down here on the corner. And a lot of you knew Mike. Um, and if you did, you knew what an extraordinary man Michael Montgomery was. He, uh, he changed the face of Laguna Beach. In the 60s and 70s, Mike Montgomery led hundreds to Christ in Laguna Beach. They were coming to Christ every week for years. There's a picture of Mike. It's a little emotional for me just to even see the picture. Mike... Uh, mentored me. He uh, founded Laguna Church, which was one of the vibrant churches during the Jesus movement. He gave me my first opportunity to speak. I, I spoke on Genesis chapter 6, on Noah and the flood. And um, he, he said, Jay, you're going you're gonna to take my place next Wednesday night. And so I prepared this message for weeks, you know, for this message on Noah and the, and the ark. And, um, and uh, I was supposed to speak for an hour, and I was so nervous. I spoke so fast, the message was done in 12 and a half minutes. <laughs> Nikki said I was like a runaway train. I just went, whoa, whoa. And Mike said, well, Jay, uh, you need to slow down just a little bit. So I think over the last 40 Eight years now, I've slowed down a little, thankfully. I think it has to do with pretty much with some sort of confidence that you get after doing this for a while. But um, I am indebted 
This man poured his life. He, he officiated Nikki's in my wedding. And uh, when he left to move to Florida, I took his place along with Dr. Jack Wheaton. We became co-pastors of Laguna Church. It was a great church for a number of years here in the canyon. And uh, he impacted my life and so many others. Uh, he laid the foundation in me of what it is to be a believer. He taught me, he discipled me, he raised me up. Um, this is the legacy of our church. It, 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 he was a fabulous pastor. All right, um, we are going to now uh, look at, at our text this morning. We are at the end of chapter 23. Now, usually on this Sunday, which is known as Palm Sunday, uh, we do uh, teaching on the a triumphal entry. We do teaching on the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the Sunday before his crucifixion. But uh, in Luke's gospel, that took place back in chapter 19, uh, which we already covered uh, several weeks ago. Last week, Jeff taught uh, on the crucifixion. Uh, and uh, in his passage at, at the end, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus, as he's dying, he cries out, and Luke says, with a loud voice, uh, Father, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Luke tells us that uh, uh, Jesus breathed his last. And so I felt like it was important, before just going straight to the burial account, that we talk just for a moment about the scope and the depth of the cross. And I understand that, that peering into the cross and looking into what Jesus did, his sacrifice, I don't believe that we're ever going to fully understand it. We're never going to fully, even in eternity, even when we're standing in the presence of God in heaven, I don't think we're ever going to really know what it meant for God to become man and to allow other sinful men to put him on a cross where he would die in our place. I don't think we can ever understand or ever know. But the 27 books of the New Testament go to great lengths to seek to impart to us more and more understanding of what took place on the cross when Jesus was there. And so what I've done, in, 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 like I said, I don't want to go straight to the burial. I want to talk about the cross for a minute. And, and I, get, I understand some of these terms here that I'm going to share with you uh, might be um, a little difficult to grasp, but probably not. All of these words are found in your New Testament, all of them. Justification, redemption, reconciliation, salvation, sanctification, and propitiation. But it's important for you to, to get a grip to understand if you're a Christian, if you are a believer, this is what's taken place in your life. If you've opened your heart to Christ, you've invited Jesus in as your personal Savior, and you've been born again, this is what's happened to you. And if you're here this morning and you've not done that, I encourage you to consider Christ in his claims. But let me tell you what's happened to you and to me those of us who have believed in Christ, been born again, the first thing that takes place, what Jesus provided through the cross, is justification. Justification is that God has declared us righteous. God has declared you righteous, 
and me righteous, when we, we receive Christ, you and I are declared righteous in the sight of God, and there's this great exchange that takes place. God takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Pretty good exchange, huh? He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. We are justified through faith. Justification is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. Secondly, is this great word redemption, which is a strong word in the Old Testament because God in Isaiah 43 talks about how God has redeemed Israel. But in the New Testament, redemption is the redemption of our soul, that God has literally purchased us, redeemed us when we were lost, when we were bound in sin. And that means that you and I are no longer our our own. God has purchased us for himself. He has called us, when we receive Christ, he's called us by name, he has given us his righteousness, he has purchased us for himself, and you and I are God's property, if if I could say it like that. Third, we've been reconciled to God. This That's what the word reconciliation means. We have been reconciled into right relationship with God. Prior to knowing Jesus, the scriptures tell us that we are, what? Alienated from God. We are separated from God. The New Testament, especially in Romans, says this over and over. We are separated from God. When we give our lives to Christ, we are reconciled into right relationship with God. And that's a powerful thing. You are in right relationship with God. You've been reconciled to God, not by anything you've done, except opening your heart and saying yes to Jesus. You are at peace. The word reconciliation always has as a tagline, you're at peace with God. You're no longer alienated. There's no longer any barrier. There are no more walls. There's no more separation. You have been joined. You have been joined to God. And you have peace with God. You are reconciled with God. Then, of course, the word that's most known to us is the word salvation. And that word literally means we've been delivered. We have been delivered from sin. We've been saved from sin. We've been saved also and delivered from Satan's power. And then hopefully, as time goes on, we're saved from ourselves too. (laughs) But salvation literally means deliverance. When God comes, he delivers us. How many of you remember your old life? Huh? How many of you remember your old life and where you were and how far God has brought you and what he's delivered you from? Well, I could spend the rest of the day just talking to you about what God's delivered me from. I could tell you all kinds of bad stuff that went on in my life. I can tell you all kinds of things, all kinds of stories of what God did. And I give God praise today. I give God praise for delivering me from my old life. And I give God praise for what he's done in your life. Amen? Amen. He's done many glorious things in all of your lives and all of my lives. And he's going to continue to do that. And that's what the next word is all about The word sanctification means the minute that you are justified, the minute you are reconciled, the minute you are redeemed, and the minute that you are saved, the sanctification process begins in which God begins to change you, that you become more like Christ. And that's all a part of the redemptive work of God. You begin to be changed. 
You are not what you were 10 years ago. You're not what you were 15 years ago. I'm not what I was 30 years ago. Because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that is set in motion by the cross, by the fact that we receive the efficacy of the cross, the beauty of the cross, the wonder of the cross, then God can begin to change our lives. And then a word that I just love, propitiation. Propitiation literally means that the Father was satisfied. When Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said, it is finished. That means that the total penalty due all of sin from Adam to the last human being, that Jesus took that penalty for your sin and mine. In fact, he did more because Corinthians says that he who knew no sin became sin for our behalf and on our behalf that we might become the very righteousness of God. So these may be soterical kind of soci... What's the word, Jeff? Soteriology. Soteriology. (laughs) I took the class in um, seminary. So teriology, these may look like big terms, but they are glorious terms. They tell us, at least in part, what Jesus has done. Aren't you amazed by all? This is just part of what Christ has done. Justified us, reconciled us, purchased us, delivered us, changing us, and he has set us free from the penalty of sin. The word propitiate means to appease. The Father is fully satisfied with what Jesus did. I give God praise today for that. I give God glorious praise for all of this work of redemption. It's the work of the cross. It is the glory. It's what I call the terrifying beauty. The terrifying beauty of the crucifixion. Terrifying for Jesus in what he experienced but beautiful for us as we receive the glorious benefit of Jesus coming. Can you imagine? I'm just going to say it, repeat it again. Can you imagine God becoming man and going to a cross? Just think about the garden for a second. He's in the garden. Jesus is in the garden And he knows what's coming. He knows the suffering, which we can only faintly scratch the surface. And he cries out, Father, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass. And there's just silence. And he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And then it says in Hebrews, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And what was that joy? Fitzmaurice, you were the joy. Sally Ellis, you were the joy. Aria Arthur, you were the joy. Rainey, you were the joy that was set before Jesus. Chris and Larry and Nancy and Lisa, you were the joy. You were the joy that took Jesus to the cross. He had you in mind. He said, I don't want to be in heaven without Mark Ellis. I don't want to be in heaven without Michelle Doherty. I don't want to be in heaven without Chelsea Loomis. I do not want to be there. I want them there. 
and I'll pay the price, whatever it takes. And so in the midst of his intense suffering, there was a joy, and it was you. It's mind-boggling, everybody. It is numbing to imagine what God's done for us. We just barely, faintly can recognize, yeah, it's something pretty awesome. But I don't think, I just, I think we'll, for all eternity, we're, our eyes are just going to be amazed just to hear more, just to hear more and more. And I think, I think the songs in heaven, I think the angels singing and the host of heaven singing, they're going to be singing about what Jesus did. He even says in Peter that the angels long to understand, they long to peer into, look into what's taken place on the cross. It's just the glory of God. It's the unbelievable love, mercy, grace, and compassion of a loving God who determined to make a way for man to make it back to him after man totally blew it and separated themselves in the great fall of sin. God, I bless you, Lord. I thank you for what you've done for us. Where would I be and where would we all be, God? So grateful. All right, our text this morning is a very brief text on the burial of Jesus, but I felt it was important that before we take Jesus off the cross that we talk a little bit about what he did. All right, so here's our text today. Uh, the last seven verses of chapter 23. And last week, uh, as I said, Jeff, I taught uh, on the crucifixion. And now it's time for the burial. I'm going to read through this and I'm going to teach, teach you as I go. It's, it's a little bit of an unfamiliar passage, really. We, we, don't, we don't tend... I can't remember the last time I heard anybody talk about Joseph of Arimathea, the man that's going to take the body down and see that it's buried. I can't remember the last, I can't remember if I ever heard a sermon much about Joseph of Arimathea. I'm going to tell you, he's one of the most amazing men in all of Scripture. Joseph of Arimathea is absolutely stunning. So let's look at him. I want to. I want to. May, may God bring this man to life as we read the text, verse 50 of Luke 23. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the high council. So we'll stop right there. Immediately, Luke describes Joseph as a man of integrity, as a, as a man of character, calls him good and righteous, yet he was a member of the high council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, and it was the high council that, in fact, made the decision that Jesus would be crucified. However, uh, we find out in the next verse, 51, that Joseph had not consented to crucify Jesus while practically everybody else did in the Sanhedrin, in the high council. They all said crucify him, but not Joseph. All right? And we're going to find out why Joseph uh, uh, did not consent. Uh, this man was from a town of uh, Arimathea in Judea, a small town in the south of Israel, and he'd been waiting for the kingdom of God. And that little phrase is really illuminating because it shows us that he'd been listening to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. He was well acquainted with Jesus. More than being acquainted with Jesus, we're going to see this man, Joseph, really loved Jesus. And so uh, Joseph 
realizes that he wants to give Jesus an honorable burial. All right? Joseph wants to give Jesus an honorable burial. He doesn't understand what's taken place on the cross, and he has no clue that the resurrection is about to take place. But this man loves Jesus. And he goes before the Roman governor. He goes before Pilate. And don't you think maybe there's a little danger there? Like they've just crucified Jesus. Maybe if they find out he's with them, they're going to crucify him too. That's why all the disciples fled. They were worried about getting crucified too. But Joseph, he boldly goes before Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. And Pilate gives it to him. Pilate gives it to him. And verse 53 is one of the most tender verses in all the scripture. If you can just picture it like a film. Joseph, gently, he takes the body down. He takes the body of Jesus down from the cross. And he lays it on a long linen cloth. He wraps it up and carries Jesus, carries the body to a a new tomb that had been carved from the rock. So Jesus body is going to go into a tomb, a new tomb. It's never been used before. And almost everybody agrees that Joseph of Arimathea probably paid for that tomb. This is how much he, how much he loved uh, Jesus. Now, I just want to point this out. We often talk about the people who love Jesus. You know, there's three or four that stand out, right? The first one would be John, right, at the Last Supper, he lays his head on Jesus' chest. You know, this intimate, warm man just loved Jesus. And John's going to be the only disciple that will be at the cross standing with the women. And then we think of Peter, don't we, as one who loved uh, Jesus. Even though he denied him uh, after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then there was a Mary uh, of Bethany, um, this wonderful woman who sits at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10 and just gazes up at Jesus and just loves him and later on anoints his body with oil. Of course, we, and we, so we think of these, but I just think Joseph of Arimathea ought to be put right in that same list. Because he loves, he loves Jesus. And he's going to make sure that Jesus is taken care of, his body is taken to be taken care of. Now, next in our text is somebody else that loves Jesus, and they've loved Jesus for a long time. And we're told here in uh, verse uh, 54, that laying of the body was done late Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath drew near, And there were women from Galilee who loved Jesus. Following Joseph, they saw the tomb where the body was placed. Now, we met these women, we met some of these women in Luke chapter 8, where it actually names some of the women, Mary and Johanna and some others. But they, notice where it says the women were from where? They were from Galilee. In other words, they were with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. These were women 
Jesus was from Galilee and his ministry started in Galilee. His ministry started going into the a synagogue in Capernaum and announcing who he was. And the women began following him immediately. And Luke chapter 8 tells us that there were a number of women who had, uh, who had finances and they, and they supported Jesus and the disciples for three years. They gave of their money. These are these women here. And when Jesus went to the cross and all the disciples fled, running for their own skin, these women stayed at the cross holding each other during the crucifixion. And John was also there. When Jesus says to John, behold, your mother kind of commits his own mother into John's hands. These are fantastic women. These are women that nothing deterred them from faithfully following and standing with Jesus no matter what. And they're, they're determined to find out where Jesus is going to be buried because then they're going to go home, and during the Sabbath, uh, they will, they're going to get ready to prepare Jesus' body with spices and anointments uh, that uh, they would put on Jesus on Sunday according to the requirements of the law. But of course, what took place on Sunday, <laughs> Jesus is raised, and so they will never be able to, uh, to minister uh, to the body of Jesus. But Joseph of Arimathea is a great man and these women uh, that love Jesus. This whole passage here, you look at it, you read through it, you go, oh, it's nice, he's buried, you know. This is a passage, this is a passage of love, of the love of Joseph. Now John tells us that Nicodemus also helped. John tells us that Nicodemus stepped in and helped Joseph at Arimathea, but Joseph was in the forefront. And so we have this beautiful passage of these people, Joseph and these women, who wanted to make sure that Jesus was taken care of. All right, so I want to close my message. We've got about five minutes here. And you know, we've been talking about so much in recent weeks about, about all that took place during the last week of Jesus' life from his triumphal entry to all the great teaching that he did, including the Olivet Discourse on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of that final week. And then the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane and then the arrest and the trial of Jesus and then going to the cross and dying and then today we're talking about the burial of Jesus and next week the resurrection followed by the ascension. And it's really, really important that we study this so that we understand uh, we understand about Jesus' life. We, we read it. We look at it. We peruse it. We study it. It's really important that we do that. But you know, there's something that's more important. There's something that's more important than the ideas and the concepts and the doctrines and the theologies of Jesus. There's even something more important than just believing in Jesus. There's something more important than knowing about Jesus. And that is knowing Jesus. That's what's really important. We can have all the theology. We can have all the doctrine. We can quote, memorize all of these passages that we look at in Luke. We can know about Jesus like nobody knows about Jesus. But my question to you and my question to myself is, do you really know him? Has he grabbed your heart? Is he the lover of your soul?
His love growing in you for Christ. His passion increasing in you for the heart of God. Has your heart and God's heart connected in a deep, real way? Because in every single one of us, in you and in me, there is a cry. There is a cry. There is a yearning. There is a longing for what is real. I only want what is real. I love doctrine, ideas, concepts, theologies, studies. I love all of it. All of it. But I want more. I want the real Christ looming up in my life, becoming my all in all. To know him and to be known of him. That's my cry today. To know him and to be known of him. To love him and to receive back his love. To release passion for God and to receive back his passion for me. And so my call to you and to me today as we close this message, it's a call to an awakening. It's a call to an awakening. An awakening of your soul and your heart and your spirit to the living Christ that he would become all in all. Paul said, I lay aside all of my accolades that I might have one thing, and that's this, that I might know him. Oh God, we want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to love you more. We want to stay faithful and true to you, God. We want our hearts, God, to connect. We want you to be our all in all. That you would be our all in all. I'm going to ask Chris to close the service with a song. And I'd like you all to stand. And as he plays, I'd like you to uh, sing these words with Chris. I'd like you to sing these words with Chris and really make them real in your life today.
Jesus, I love you. All of my life down at your feet, pouring it out for you. All that you are and all that you've done, I will worship you with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul and all of my strength. Jesus, I love you. With all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul and all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus. May the presence of God the realized, manifest presence of God be yours this week. And may God open our hearts and light a fire for him, a passion for him that we've not known. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.